0: All right. Let me tell you a little bit about our next sermon series before we jump into today's sermon, because you are involved. Every five years, we do a sermon series called All Request Summer. And so if there is a subject that you're interested in, you've always wanted to learn more about, or you've got some questions that you'd love to get answered, basically your chance to request the topic of the sermons for July, June and July, pardon me, Uh, is all yours, so you can scan the QR code on the seat back in front of you, there'll be a button there that says, All Request Summer, follow that uh, to a form that will give you the chance to tell us what you'd like to see a sermon on in June and in July. So check that out, All Request Summer. Now, in this series that we're in the middle of right now called True or False, we are exploring the mixed messages, and the unhelpful ideas about God that we have picked up along the way, uh, they're holding us back, they're robbing us of the real and rich life that God intends for us. So we are diving into the scriptures and seeing what they say is true about God and hopefully dispelling some of the misinformation that we might be carrying. And so here is the idea we are tackling today. I can't believe in both science and god now somewhere along the line we may have gotten the idea that science and god are in opposing categories but we can question that premise because it wasn't always this way science was originally a christian idea the biblical understanding that the universe was created by the mind of god led to the belief that it is rational and can be studied The great pioneers of modern science, Copernicus, Galileo, Pascal, Newton, all professed belief in God, the God of our scriptures, and viewed their scientific studies as a way of worship. To them the truth and the beauty of Psalm 19 written so long ago was evident. The heavens proclaim the glory of God, the skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. So, science used to spring from faith in and love of God a way of exploring his glory, fulfilling our charge as humans to steward creation. It's only been in the last 150 years or so that science and faith have been pitted against each other. And that's because science, as we think of it today, refers not only to the scientific method. Remember that? We learned it in junior high, probably. Question, hypothesis, test the results, draw conclusions, adjust your hypothesis, maybe have new questions, and round and round, right? That's how we learn. That idea, that process was revolutionary and it's awesome. It's good. It should be used. It's sound and useful. But today, what we are conditioned to think of when we think of science is that, that scientific method, that exploration, plus a philosophy or worldview called naturalism or materialism. Naturalism is a theory, a philosophy that posits that ultimate reality is nothing but matter and energy and time and space, that there's nothing transcendent, nothing beyond. That's naturalism. Naturalism has been added to what we think of when we think of science and has so intertwined with it that we can't think now of one without the other. And so then we begin to buy into or fall for the idea that science currently defined is against or opposite to God. But that's only because science has had had this added to it, this philosophy of naturalism. So consequently, anything that can be called knowledge from this worldview Anything that can be called knowledge comes from the natural or material realm and must be observed and measured. In other words, science, in this point of view, science is not one way of gaining knowledge. It's the only way of gaining knowledge. But I would invite us to consider rejecting that premise and considering that there is more than one way of knowing more than one kind of knowledge, and that there are at least a couple of them, a couple ways of knowing, scientifically and spiritually. And that further, both of these, not one does and one doesn't, but both of them, both of these ways of knowing point to God. Now, we only have a few minutes to unpack this really big subject, right? So let me hit on what I see as some of the highlights of this vast, deep, endlessly interesting topic, which I'll summarize what we're about to do in the next few minutes this way, how it started and how it's going, okay? Here we go. Science used to believe that the universe just always was, but now seems to be in agreement that our universe, all of the space-time we call reality, had a beginning. A tremendous amount of evidence points to this, that the universe had a beginning, but it also creates its own quandary. Because science's law of cause and effect ends up begging the question, what caused the universe to begin? From where did everything from the squirrel outside to the farthest flung planet come from? And what was here before? Now, science's current working answer to this question is nothing, that it all came from nothing. Now, can we admit that while this is one possible answer, it might, it's, not, it's not the only possible answer and it might not even be a probable one. Scripture has testified in its very first words that all of this had a beginning. In other words, science was, has been wondering, did the universe have a beginning? The current conclusion is that it does, and all the evidence seems to point that way, but Genesis 1:1 has been telling us that's all the way from the start. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created. If the universe had a beginning, that's an effect, then what is the cause? Now we, as believers in Jesus, answer that question with a who. Who is the cause? But the question does deserve an answer, and of course and it, deserves, it deserves our exploration. And there are reasons to conclude that God is that answer. Which leads us to exactly what God created. So in the beginning, God created. Science now confirms that the universe had a beginning, and the scriptures have testified to that from the beginning. But now let's talk about the he created part The intricacy, the order, the diversity within the universe's design also points to the fact that God created in that beginning. Albert Einstein, the groundbreaking physicist, the Nobel Prize winner, saw awesome intelligence revealed in what he studied. And probably no mind in the last, uh, in in human history has. do we owe, you know, such a, has, has discovered so much about the laws of physics and the way things work that have allowed so many of the, our modern, things in our modern life to even exist. The, the things that we understand and, and live with today are many times thanks to his insights. In these insights, he saw an intelligence. He once wrote that the scientist's religious feeling takes the form of a rapture, rapturous amazement at the harmony of natural law, which reveals an intelligence of such superiority that, compared with it, all the systematic thinking and acting of human beings is an utterly insignificant reflection. What's he saying? Einstein was amazed at the intelligence he saw in what he was discovering about how the universe Works, as he approached these laws of physics and began to see how things work and fit together, he's like, Whoa, this is not random. There is an order, there are principles, there is clearly an intelligence behind it. Just as one would see the design of the gears and the springs of a mechanical clock, and then intuitively just know it had a designer. The amazement that Einstein speaks of also comes when we consider the sheer improbability of our existence. 150 plus what are called astronomical constants are needed for life to exist on our planet. Things like the exact tilt of the Earth's axis or our distance from the sun. Did you know that if the Earth were just three-tenths of 1% closer to the sun, it would be game over for us. There's 150 plus of these things that have to be just right for life to exist. And if any one of them is not what it currently is, we wouldn't have what we call life on earth. Now, no doubt, you've probably heard stats like that, and they are incredible. And no one refutes them. They are scientifically discovered and known and and quantified. But they beg the question, how Did all of that line up? How did we get here? Now, the best explanation those who exclude God from science can give is loads of time, random chance, and natural selection. But there are at least 150 of these factors, and the chances of them all coming together are 1 in 10 billion to the 123rd power. Now, why don't I just say stinking big number, right? You know, like we don't even know. That is like winning the lottery every day for 10,000 days in a row. That's just one way to try to wrap our heads around the odds that we're talking about here. Christopher Hitchens, a well-known atheist, once called this very calculation that I just quoted, it was, it was uh, arrived at by a mathematician, a British mathematician named Roger Penrose. It's called Penrose's calculation. And Christopher Hitchens once called this the most compelling argument for the existence of God. So we talked about the beginning of the universe, the fact that the Bible's known all along that the universe had a beginning, that we see God as the first cause of all of that. There is a cause. Science tells us there must be a cause. The the amazing um, aspects of God's creation, the fact that we can even be here, Hitchens calls this the most compelling argument. I've got one more. I've got one more argument. I don't have a lot of time this morning. I've got one more argument. I think it's even better than this one. Me. And you, too. I'm talking about our human consciousness. And that we exist as we do at all it begs its own questions about how did this happen never has the demand explain yourself been more relevant how do we explain us the question is an existential one there's a whole body of evidence it cannot be ignored because we're living it it is our own beingness my mind my soul the persistent experience that is existence and not just in the existence, but one that enjoys beauty and music, a search for meaning, love, a need for justice, a sense of moral rightness. That you and I can cry or laugh at a movie, images on a screen, but we're moved. Or that we humans can even make such things called movies. Or take off in rockets, or perform laser surgeries, or form governments. Or for that matter, rescue and nurse back to health a lost dog or paint the portrait of a loved one or generously help a stranger in need. Where do all these things come from? How are they to be explained? Genesis 127 clues us in. God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Scripture teaches us that we are more than just bouncing molecules in chemical reactions because that is the natural conclusion, if you follow it to its end, of the naturalism, materialism philosophy that uh, we talked about earlier. That in the end, I'm just an organism and all my decisions are just the result of chemical reactions. It does not explain the beauty and the wonder that is human consciousness. But we know, as we see from Scripture, we are a created order all our own, made to be like our maker, creative and insightful and moral and spiritual. Our own everyday existence is a living laboratory, a body of evidence that transcends what science can fully explain. It demands its own kind of knowing. Remember, there's more than one kind of knowing It is an evidence that can't be ignored, our own existence. Now, like I said, I I really don't, this is such a huge topic and there's really not much time on a Sunday morning. I'm just attempting to answer the basic question, can I believe in both science and God? I, I haven't even had the time to cover, for instance, biodiversity, the enormity of different plants and animals and ecosystems that cover our planet. And an examination, really, of whether that order and diversity and beauty can arise from chaos, or should it be the other way around—that there was a beauty and a designer and an order orderer to this order. Nor have I had the time to talk about the astounding intricacies of the human body, for instance. The complexity of even a single living cell or the wonders encoded in our DNA, these things are mind-blowing. The more you learn about them, uh, the more fascinating uh, they are, the more fascinated you'll be. I have to admit, I thoroughly enjoy reading books, listening to audiobooks about science. Never once have I learned something that I couldn't fold into my faith. Again, we can have this idea that science is anti-God and thus, uh, I don't want to know something that might, you know, or learn something or be told something that might rock my faith. But if you can keep an open mind and open heart, there's tons of amazing things that can be learned that will only point you to God. Science points you to God. Or it can and the more science I learn, the more, and I don't profess to know a lot, but I just like learning what I can. The more science I learn, the more I revel in, glory in, and stand in awe of God. Paul, The Apostle Paul once wrote that this is the way it works, or at least the way it's supposed to work. In Romans chapter 1, he writes about humanity, and he says, They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky, Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. His point is that God is on full display, at least at the level of knowing that he exists. That in Paul's mind, he's hard to deny if we're paying attention because creation speaks to him. We read about that in Psalm 19, at the beginning of the message. This kind of was brought to my mind when the other day, Tamara and I got our uh, property tax um, thing in the mail, right? And, and I'm, I'm standing in the kitchen. She's right there, and I'm just kind of looking at it, and I'm really perplexed. I'm like trying to, because, you know, every time I get it, I want to make sure that everything is cool and um, that <clears throat> everything's in escrow, right? I'm paying my mortgage, and so I want to make sure they're getting what they're intending to get, and it's, it's happening. And I'm like, I cannot find any place here where it says in escrow right? Except sprawled in large letters right across both pages, it says, in escrow, that I was looking at the fine print, I was trying to find the line item that made sure that told me this information, I I'm, I'm, can't see the forest for the trees, and there they are trying to make sure I can't miss it, and I was missing it. And I can't help but sometimes think that that's exactly what happens in our world today, that that God's existence, God's reality is sprawled across uh, our world in large uh, letters, right? That he is there, that he exists, but we can easily miss it. But in sunsets and in thunderstorms and the smile of a toddler, in the bird song that wakes us up from a peaceful sleep, When we gather together and and sing soaring songs of worship, or the feeling we have when the wisdom of God's word lands on us, there God is, if we'll just pay attention. Now to be sure, God does not submit himself to our laboratory. He does not confine himself to our meager understanding. Yet his works display his glory, and he invites us to examine them that we may find him. Like everything in life, science included, we can approach this in either one of two ways. We can include God or we can exclude God. But let's at least be honest enough to know, to admit that we are making a choice when we exclude God. We don't have to. Science does not in and of itself exclude God. That's a choice that we make. We can also choose to include him. Science is great at looking for and finding answers, but we should never expect it to have all the answers, to be our only way of knowing. In fact, for every answer that science uncovers, more questions also come to the surface. This is as it should be. But can we also be honest enough to admit that if we believe science has all the answers, then that too is faith. That is faith in science. And in fact, I would say we're putting too much faith, something that science, a weight that science was never meant to hold or carry fully. We're saying in faith that science will supply all the answers, But, as amazing and useful and educational and fascinating as science can be, it certainly has not yet provided all the answers, nor was it ever meant to. Instead, we can see that answers are there, and there's more than one kind of knowing. We can choose to see these two things, science and faith, as in, not in competition, but in cooperation. So we can reject the false dichotomy that says it's an either or, instead of a both and. As we wrap up this morning, let me just Quote, um, a guy who, a modern scientist to whom we owe a tremendous debt of gratitude, probably no one in modern history more so than Dr. Francis Collins, thanks to his genetic discoveries as well as his leadership of the Human Genome Project. Vast amounts of knowledge have been uncovered through his work. Dr. Collins is a committed follower of Jesus as well as a world-renowned brilliant scientists. And he wrote about what we're talking about this morning in his book, The Language of God. And this quote is not short, but it is worth hearing. So let me convey his words to you. He asks, will we turn our backs on science because it is perceived as a threat to God, abandoning all the promise of advancing our understanding of nature and applying that to the alleviation of suffering and the betterment of humankind? Alternatively, will we turn our backs on faith, concluding that science has rendered the spiritual life no longer necessary, and that traditional religious symbols can now be replaced by engravings of the double helix on our altars? Both of these choices, he says, are profoundly dangerous. Both deny truth. Both will diminish the nobility of humankind. Both will be devastating to our future, and both are unnecessary. The God of the Bible, he says, is also the God of the genome. He can be worshipped in the cathedral or in the laboratory. His creation is majestic, awesome, intricate and beautiful, and it cannot be at war with itself. Only we imperfect humans can start such battles, and only we can end them. I think that's really pretty profound, and a great summary of what we're attempting to conclude here in this sermon, that yes, you can believe and and make a part of your life, both science and God. God is the God of science. Let me wrap up by just saying, here's one of the things I love about science. If your hypothesis is incorrect, you don't give up on science, right? You learn, you adjust your thinking, and you move forward. Let me challenge us to use at least this much effort in exploring God. If you have picked up a wrong hypothesis about God, don't give up on God. Cast aside the incorrect idea. Keep seeking truth because believe me, it is there, amen? I'm gonna invite you to grab your bread and cup this morning because every week we stop everything we're doing and remind ourselves of where we find truth. We're, We're truth seekers here at Outlook, that's what we do we have discovered that the highest and greatest and purest source of truth is Jesus Christ. Amen? And so as we come together, we stop everything to remember what Jesus has done for us. Because if he is the source of all good and right truth, then the highest truth among all those truths is that we are loved by God. Everything else flows from that. And that love cost him, the Son of God, his life. We commemorate it. We celebrate it, we remember it every week when we take the bread, His body given for us. Every week, we we remind ourselves that there is more than one way to know. There's more, more than one kind of knowing. And this we know in our soul. God is real. He knows us and He loves us. And we know that down to our toes We thank Him for it and what it cost Him when we take the cup and remember His blood shed for us. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for Your truth, for for the the glory, the majesty of Your creation. Help us, God, to be people who have our eyes open to see You uh, in all that's around us, to understand that And all the things on this earth that are dark and, and broken and far from you and disappointing and hurtful and painful, that you are there and that you see it too. You see all of that, Lord. You experience all of that. Help us to see not only that, the earth and its fallenness, but also the glory of you as its creator, and the love that you are constantly shining, the love that you are constantly sharing with us, your people. Help us to see that too, and to show it. In Jesus' name, amen.